This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Saturday, February 22nd, 2020. On this day in 1974, out-of-work tire salesman Samuel Bick murdered two people in an attempt to hijack an aircraft and crash into the White House. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the little-known assassination attempt on President Richard Nixon just five months before he resigned from office. Let's go back to the morning of February 22, 1974, right around 7 a.m. Forty-four-year-old Samuel Bick pulled up to a gas station just outside of the Baltimore-Washington International Airport. By his own estimation, he was about 70 pounds overweight, and so his back ached as he got out of the driver's seat. He walked inside to the front desk, where the teenage cashier eyed him with suspicion. Holding two half-gallon gas canisters in his hand, Bick dropped a crumpled-up $1 bill on the counter. The teenager asked him what he wanted with a dollar's worth of gas. Bick gestured to the canisters. He was going to fill them up. Something about this struck the teenager as odd. Maybe it was Bick's nervous, sweaty demeanor. Maybe it was the request for such a small amount of gasoline in an urban area where people didn't really use lawnmowers or generators. Deciding to play it safe, the cashier denied Bick his request. Bick was irate, swearing at the teenager that this really was becoming a fascist country. He made his way back to his car and sat inside. This was just another example of how this country was infected with a cancer that only he could remove. He was more determined than ever to cut that sickness out by killing its leader, President Nixon. But the gasoline was an important part of the plan. Bick was going to drive across the street to Baltimore Washington Airport, hijack a plane, and fly it into the White House. But if people got in his way, if they couldn't see the good he was trying to do, then he would be forced to make a statement by blowing up the plane. If he couldn't steal it, then he would cook it. Bick had more luck at the next gas station, filling his two containers and heading out to the airport. Once parked, he double-checked that his 22 caliber pistol was still in his pocket and made his way inside, gas canisters hidden in a suitcase. He tried to play it calm, but inside he was nervous. He wished he could somehow linger after death to see if anyone would miss him. His ex-wife, his children. He knew he would miss himself. He wasn't looking forward to dying. But he had to do this. 
the world had gone mad. Better to live one day as a lion than a hundred years as a sheep. After passing a few different gates, Bick determined that a Delta Airlines DC-9 was the closest to taking off. The door to the tarmac was only guarded by a single man, and right now, his back was turned to the door, his attention elsewhere. Seizing the moment, Bick rushed forward, pulling the gun from his pocket. He fired one shot into the guard's back. The man dropped instantly. Further down in the terminal, two police officers heard the shot and ran toward the gate. But Bick was already out on the tarmac, ascending the steps into the plane. Inside, he pushed his way into the cabin, startling the pilot and co-pilot. He demanded that they get the plane into the air immediately. He didn't want to kill any innocents, but sacrifices had to be made for the greater good. And so he shot the co-pilot in the head, proving to the pilot that he was serious. Suddenly, the sound of gunfire erupted from outside the plane. Bick left the cockpit to look out the plane's open door. Police had arrived, and they were attempting to shoot out the tires. Bick returned to the cockpit, demanding that the pilot take off. He shot the co-pilot a few more times to prove he was serious. This was the beginning of a revolution. The pilot told Bick that a departure was impossible unless the doors were closed. Furious, Bick once again left the cockpit, moving to seal the plane. But this time, the responding police officers saw him and began firing at the cabin door. It was all Bick could do to safely shut the door his plan falling apart around him. He returned to the cockpit only to find that the pilot had betrayed him. He was contacting air traffic control. Bick lashed out, shooting the pilot. With both of his chances of getting into the air now bleeding out, the terrorist had reached the end of his journey. He wasn't going to be able to steal the plane but he could still blow it up. Before he could pull out his makeshift bomb, another shot rang out, and he heard the sound of cracking glass. Looking down, Bick saw blood begin to seep from his shirt. Looking across to the cockpit window, he saw the bullet hole. Outside, the police had turned their attention from the door to the front of the plane. A few more shots rang out, and Bick sank to the floor. As the police boarded, they found Bick oozing blood, the last few breaths of life escaping him. Beneath his body was the makeshift bomb, which turned out to be less than a threat. He hadn't even attached any sort of ignition switch. Miles away at the White House, President Nixon worked away, oblivious, he would eventually be informed of the plot against his life, but he had bigger things to worry about, namely his impeachment. In time, the assassination plot was forgotten by the majority of the public. Bick's worst fear came true. Not only did he fail to inspire revolution, but no one even remembered his name. Next, we'll discuss the context of the assassination attempt and the fallout from the shooting spree. 
This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On February 22, 1974, 44-year-old Samuel Bick attempted to hijack an airplane at Baltimore-Washington International Airport. His stated goal, according to tapes that he mailed to various journalists, was to fly the plane into the White House and kill President Richard Nixon. But instead, he took two different innocent lives, that of 24-year-old Maryland Aviation Administration police officer George Neal Ramsberg and co-pilot Fred Jones. The plane's pilot, Reese Douglas Lofton, survived his injuries. President Nixon was at the White House that day and may have, in theory, been threatened by an attack from a rogue aircraft, but Bick's hijacking plan was ill thought out, ignoring the many regulations and procedures that would prevent the plane from taking off as quickly as he needed it to. Slaying Officer Ramsberg was particularly foolish, as it brought airport security down on him before he even boarded the plane. But for a modern post-9-11 audience, the story is shocking, if for no other reason than for the fact that it was so easy for Bick to get on the plane with both a firearm and an explosive, even if the explosive was amateurish and unlikely to detonate. Clearly, this was not the work of a sane man. The tapes he sent to journalists were particularly incoherent. He rants about a cancerous government that preys upon the working class, and yet the only example he could provide was how he was turned down for a loan by the Small Business Administration. At some point, he decided that this was most directly Nixon's fault, which speaks to the delusions of grandeur and inflated sense of self that seemed to guide Bick's actions. It's clear from some of his tape quotes, including, I'm gonna miss myself, and I think the world is mad, that he saw himself as the only sympathetic party in his life. Just two years earlier, in 1972, he began to suffer from depression after his wife divorced him. His ensuing 1973 stint in a psych ward served only to make him paranoid and delusional, and soon he was sending threatening mail to the president. He even picketed the White House late that year, wearing a Santa suit and carrying a sign that said, all I want for Christmas is my constitutional right to publicly petition my government for a redress of grievances. Despite these threats, the Secret Service did not take him seriously, opening the door for his ultimate act of violence. It was yet another tragedy in America's long history of failing to treat mental illness that could prevent a deadly attack. But ultimately, the blame for the deaths of Neil Ramsberg and Fred Jones rests solely with Bick 
whose selfishness has gone down in infamy. The greatest irony of all was that less than six months later, Nixon resigned from office. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you're interested in learning more about the twisted psychology behind assassination attempts, check out the ParCast original, Assassinations. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Greg Castro, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 